Well, let me just confess, like, what we just saying is something, it, it's so dependable, it's so real, and I forget it. So that's my confession, that I forget that God is faithful. Um, so February, January, February of 04, I am praying and, and spending like a time of fasting, praying for what's about to be like a game-changing aspect of my life. I'm about to be a dad for the first time. And so I am praying and seeking God's face, trusting him, and he's developing in me this uncommon trust and just believing that he is faithful. And, and then I, I get to be a dad, and I get to see my son for the first time, and I'm so excited, and I trust God and all this great stuff. And then last week, I am worried about his future. I'm stressing, I'm complaining and grumbling and doing all this craziness. And then I'm talking to one of my friends and we're texting back and forth. And I'm reminded in that moment, like, didn't, didn't I trust God back in 04 with this? And here I am trying to pick it back up and take control of it. So I don't, I don't know where you are with that, but man, I needed this reminder this week, like in this moment. And so as we're singing that together, like, just know, honestly, I appreciate you guys being here, but that was for me to be able to be reminded of. Uh, thanks for witnessing that. So just kidding. Um, it, it is my joy um, to, to be with you and to walk this journey with you. And I do hope that you get encouraged, as, whether it's through music, um, the way the, the, the lyrics that we sing back to God, just praising him because he is faithful. And we need to be reminded of that. And I would just say that needs to be an anchor just thought in your mind. And what's cool is where it comes from in Scripture in Lamentations we dealt with earlier this year, Lamentations 3, where it talks about God's mercies are new every morning. And the next thought is great is your faithfulness. And that's the idea. And so I want to um, just welcome you. If it's your first time with us, we are glad you're here. My name is Lewis. I get to be the campus pastor here. Um, we are going through this, this thing called Advent, and Advent means arrival or coming, and we celebrate the arrival and coming of Christ. Um, and what we're doing this year through Advent is we're looking at different covenants in the Old Testament, one we just sang about, in fact, um, with Abraham. And we're looking at how each of these things point to the ultimate fulfillment being found in Christ. And so I, I'm excited for that. Let me just give you a little bit of background in, in this idea of covenants. Um, we're going to look and see how these things set us up to see Jesus. We're going to look and just really explore, as I mentioned, the Abrahamic covenant. Last week we dealt with the covenant with Adam and Noah. This week we deal with the covenant with Abraham. The thing we need to understand, we got some terms to kind of really like play in on, and I want to remind you as we hear some of these big words that aren't normal to our vocabulary, is every Sunday our, our lead usher, um, John, does a great job of taking my sermon notes and actually copying them and printing them out. And so as you come in, they're on the table in the back, and you, you can just grab them and so that you're not trying to figure out how to spell stuff while I'm, I'm, I'm talking, and you can be locked in and just kind of follow with me. They're all in there, and you can just do that. And that's one way we want to just use as a a form of, of really equipping you so that you can take good notes and really apply that stuff to your life and take it home with you to know it better. So that's the heartbeat behind that. So um, with that, here's crazy words. First one we, we dealt with last week, but we want to reframe it because it gives us better pictures as we, we kind of plot along. The one is suzerain vassal treaty. 
Like, so easy. You guys were talking about it yesterday, watching football. You're like, Susan and Vassal Treaty. This reminds me of the, no. Anyways, and what that is, is it's a treaty made between, um, one, of, one of the ways, it's made between a su- superior and inferior party. So what would happen is there would be a great nation that has all of its military might. Um, they need to pass through a particular land. And what would happen is they would take that smaller country and say, hey, look, this is what we're going to do. We're going to offer protection for you. But we ask that you would just let us use your land. So maybe that it was a small nation that was on um, the coast, and that was a port city there in that small nation. And this large nation says, look, we'll, we'll give you protection from the other big guys, but you just let us use your port. And so they would create like a, a treaty. And so usually it was with a stronger and a weaker party, a father and a son, uh, or a lord and a servant. But overall, this picture of covenant in the Old Testament is one that's an agreement enacted between two parties in which one or both make promises under oath to perform or refrain from certain actions stipulated in advance. So they make this covenant, this agreement. Um, So yesterday, I had the privilege of rejoining a couple that had already been married, but they went through re-engage, and God did a great work in their life and helped them see some of the things that they were doing, and they just want to kind of redo their vows. And and so we, in a very creative way yesterday, emphasis on very, emphasis on creative. Um, We we did that yesterday, and it was awesome. And and there were a lot of things, and I, I gave them a list of things to commit to, and I said, hey, look, do you commit to this? Because we don't need to be back here again. And they did. And so this is the picture of covenant. It's agreement. And so with that, there's some certain features connected to it. It's, it has oath that has stipulation, stipulations by one and promises from another. It's secured with a sacrifice. And so the word would be in the Old Testament for covenant is barah. And, and what they would do is they would cut an animal in half, right? Super, anybody hungry, right? They, they would cut an animal in half and, and the vassal, the weaker party would walk between the sacrifice and basically recite the stipulations of the treaty saying, I, you know, basically walking between it saying, hey, look, if, if I do anything to break this covenant, may this be done to me. Okay. In other words, as, as we say, and we kind of throw it out a lot, I swear on my life or I swear on my, my granny's grave. Okay. Uh, all right, whatever that means. So that's what they're saying, I swear. So um, also a good song in the 90s if you're into boy bands. Anyways, blessings and cursings were part of these covenants. I wasn't going to sing it to you because I felt pity for you. Um, but also with that is they had this picture of covenant loyalty, and it was given in this word called chesed. And chesed means loving kindness. And so anytime you see, you know, in the scripture in the Old Testament, this word mercy or loving kindness, it's God's covenant commitment to what he promised them. And what we're going to see is that God's plan of redemption uses the covenants as his way of intervening in the lives of sinful man. So with that in mind, look with me in Genesis chapter 12. We're going to pick up there, going just the first three verses there. The word of the Lord says this. Now, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Go from that place. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So notice that he's calling him from his country from everything he's familiar with, all, the, all his kinfolk, 
and his father's house and all the provisions that were there. And it says, go from there and I will show you and I will make you, Abram, a great nation. One person, I'll make a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. And notice this little detail of purpose. So that, the reason I'm doing this is that you will be a blessing. I'm blessing you to be a blessing. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Notice that little detail there. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed, meaning all the families will be connected to you. They'll be blessed by you. I I don't know if you know this, but there's this really hardcore song when I was a kid that I learned that was in reference to this. It had to do with with Abraham. It's calling him father. You know, and, and it really is, Father Abraham. This dude had many sons. I'm one. You're one. So together, let's just praise the Lord right now, right? So that, that's, that's the idea, and it comes from this, this picture how he has the offspring. We're going to deal with the detail of that in a moment. But notice just he called them from this place, and we're going to see in, in chapter 15 he was in Ur of the Chaldeans. So he's way over here. If you know the Fertile Crescent, it's on one corner, which is a port area, and he's calling him to go around and over to this other area to leave everything behind to follow him. And he's going to bless them. So he's leaving his inheritance. He's leaving his relationships, leaving everything that's familiar to follow after God. And notice the, the things in this covenant. So the stipulation for Abraham was that he would leave his father's house. But the promises God was giving him, there were five of them there. He was going to make him a great nation. He was going to make his name great. He was going to bless them, basically showing favor to him. And he was going to bless them that blessed him. So anybody that, that hooked him up, helped him out with things, he was going to bless them. And those who didn't, he was going to bless them. All right, and, and the fifth thing is all the families of the earth will be blessed through him. So that's five promises God gave him. All he had to do was pick up his stuff and go. And then we skip over a couple chapters. Um, from chapter 12 to, to chapter 15. And I want you to kind of understand there's some time that has kind of happened in between this. And part of what's happened in between this is um, his nephew, Lot, is not a cool guy. And, and he went and hung out with some people that weren't great. And that's what happened in chapter 14. Chapter 15, it says this in verse 1, after these things. So after that happened with Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah, after that, right, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And it says this, fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Now, just real quick, I want us to see this because we see this in several English translations. And the idea is that it's a complete sentence. Like, I am your shield, which means I protect you. But it's also, I am your reward. And that shall be very great. Like, I'm the reward. It's not this other peripheral stuff that other people would see as the reward, like the land, the nation, right, and the blessing. No, the reward that Abram would ultimately get is God himself. That's the gift. So we we see this picture of providence. We see this picture of protection from enemies. Notice verse 2. But Abram said, O Lord, what will you give me? You told me that you were going to give me this great nation. You're going to make my name famous. You're going to bless me with offspring. You do all this stuff. All the nation of, of the earth will be blessed through me. But, oh, Lord, what will you give me? I don't know if you've noticed, Lord, but I continue to be childless. 
And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. It's not even biologically mine. He's just somebody that was birthed into this family of mine that's from one of my servants. It's, it's, it's his kid. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be, and, and a member of my household will be my heir. So you give me nothing, but you've asked me for a lot. I don't know if you've ever been there. This is where I was Friday. Like, Lord. I trusted you. And it really took me to say, you know what? I'm not going to be worried anymore. I'm going to give this to the Lord and just pray. And I will tell you this. I invited, we were doing our Jesse tree thing. We do this thing where we read an Advent story that leads to Jesus. And we, you know, we kind of have it. The one who kind of makes sure we do is our seven-year-old. She's pretty legalistic. Pray for her heart on that. Not a person of grace yet. So, Anyway, so she was making sure we did it. And I just was honest with my kids. I was like, hey, pray. Let's pray for your brother because I'm not trusting the Lord. So pray with me for him about this. And I'm telling you, game changer. Just trust in the Lord with that. So what we see in, in this perspective here, which is to me kind of encouraging, is he's honest with the Lord. And notice verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said this. This man referring to Eleazar, shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside, brought Abram, brought, uh, excuse me, God brought Abram outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. What he did for him is he took his eyes off of what he didn't have and showed him the picture of what he will have. And by the way, some of us, we got problems with that. We, we look at what isn't taking place for us. We look at, you know, the things that aren't going our way. And we just focus on that when God's got promises, if we would just trust him and look where he points. Verse 6, notice this crazy statement. God gives him this visual outside. Verse 6 says, and he, speaking of Abram, believed the Lord. Like he trusted him. He made a commitment, a line in the sand, and said, I believe. And notice this. And he, the Lord, counted it to him, counted it to Abram as righteousness which Paul deals with very heavily in the New Testament in a lot of his letters, this idea of his faith was credited to him as righteousness. And so that's important. So just anchor that because we're going to come back to it. Verse 7. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur, the Chaldeans, to give you this land to possess. Like you left all that was familiar with you. You need to know you left that behind. And even though you thought it was great back there at your father's house, that's not what I have promised for you. I've got more. But here's the thing. Abram had to wait. I know that's like a four-letter word. Wait. And some of us in this room, that's where we're at. You're in a season of waiting. And um, on the list of fun, it's not on there. Here's the thing about waiting. Waiting exposes who is really in control of your life. It brings it to bear. 
If you're waiting and trusting the Lord and he's in control of your life, here's the reality. You'll wait with patience, with perspective. And you'll also wait with eager longing and anticipation of what God has for you if the Lord's in control of your life. However, if the Lord's not in control of your life and you are, you're the one behind the wheel and he graciously reminds you that he knows how to drive and he knows the destination even though you don't, what will happen is you'll wait with impatience and everybody around you will have to pay for it because you'll be stressed out, you'll be short with people, your temper will always be on edge and you'll be resentful and just like not fun to be around. I don't know if you've ever been around that person. Um, the, the answer is if you've been around me, then you have been around that person. Um, but man, when I'm stressed and not trusting the Lord, it is obvious. And so the reality is who's in control of your life? And then just briefly, just in summary, in chapter 17, God reaffirms this covenant that he promises here. He takes Abram and changes his name from exalted father to Abraham, which means exalted father of a multitude. He lets him know that he's going to have a son. He's coming. You know, like Abraham is like 99 years old at this time. And by the way, I don't know if you've ever been on Tinder, if that's your jam, but not a lot of 99-year-olds on there. There's reasons. So here's the beauty of this, this miracle. Like his ability to reproduce and have kids, that ship had sailed. And what God is saying is, even though your biology is dead, I'm going to bring life through it. And you need to see that is a miracle for us too. There's some things and some situations where you have given up and you think there is no life, nothing hopeful or, or promising could ever happen. And God's like, hey, this is what I, I'm an expert in this. This is my jam. Promises in that Sarah is in the tent and she hears this conversation between the Lord and, and Abraham and she starts to laugh. She gets rebuked for laughing. I wasn't laughing. And then she ends up naming that son, which is appropriate for my story of faith and worry. Names the son Isaac, which means laughter. And so as a result, they have a new race. And they, like Adam and Eve and Noah, are going to be fruitful and they're going to multiply. In fact, their offspring, as he gave the vision of the stars, will multiply and multiply. What's unique about this race from Abraham and Sarah, they will multiply as a covenant people. Notice verse 8 of chapter 15 with me. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? This thing that you promise, like, can you just let me know, like, what's the thing I'm looking for as I'm kind of like continuing to, you know, plant and, you know, have all these sheep and goats and all this stuff as I'm just kind of kicking it in life. What's the way? Is there some kind of mark or some kind of way that you could show me that this is what you have for me? That's what he asked. How am I to know? Verse 9. God says to him, bring me a, health, a heifer. Excuse me, I'm not from around here, so I don't know cows. A heifer, three years old, and a female goat, three years old, and a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, 
and he cut them in half and laid each half over against the other. But he did not, I love these details. These next two sentences are details. And you think, what's that to the story? And just verifies how important scripture is and how truthful it is that even these stories that don't even add to the theme of the story are still in here to prove that this really happened. Notice this. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey, notice this. Why would you even add this? When the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abraham I, yeah, Abram drove them away. Like, why would you even add that? Just to show that it was real. So as we read scripture, we can trust it. Like, that's a real event. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. He just went to sleep. He was tired. He cut up a lot of animals that day. Kind of busy. He fell asleep. And while he's asleep, it says this, verse 13, Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. I want you to pause here because I don't know if that sounds familiar to you, okay? Because this is Genesis' first book of the Bible. There's a book right after that called Exodus that talks about God's people being in captivity for 400 years. In other words, it hadn't happened yet, and this is a vision that God gave him before it happened while he was asleep. Track that. That's amazing. So keep reading. Verse 15. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. Verse 16. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So that's verse 16. And then all of a sudden, this crazy add-on happens. Verse 17. So the sun was going down, he fell asleep. And now it says, when the sun had gone down, it was completely dark. Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. So, I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but I'm going to give you a solid, I know I have it, where a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch walk between stuff. But this reference is called a theophany. It is a reference in the Old Testament of the presence of God being in a place through things that seem to be normal for them. But all it is is a pointer to the reality of the presence of God in that moment. And so, so that you understand what is taking place. If you remember what I said at the outset with the suzerain vassal treaty, one of the things that would happen is that they would slice animals in, in two. And remember, that's what Abram already did. He, he asked the Lord, how shall I know that you're going to follow through on your word? He says, well, go cut these animals in half and lay them out. Okay, go do that. And Abram's like, okay. And then he goes to sleep. Well, while he's asleep, the God who's been calling him to do this comes down and walks between those sacrifices. But if you remember in the suzerain vassal treaty, what's supposed to happen is the vassal, the weaker subject in the covenant is the one that's supposed to do this and walk between and recite the stipulations of the covenant. But that's not what happens. In this case, it's the suzerain. 
It's the strong one who walks between the sacrifice and says, may this happen to me if I do anything that does not follow through with my word in keeping my promise. By the way, that's powerful. So as we progress to the Old Testament, we see God shows himself and Isaac is promised and later born. And Abraham, Abraham received the promise from the Lord and began to see it develop one by one. And then it multiplies where he has a son, Isaac, who has two sons, Jacob and Esau. Esau has some kids, but Jacob has 12 sons and they multiply. And it just keeps blowing up and blowing up and blowing up at a considerable pace of multiplication. And basically what they do is they form the line of Abraham. Here's the question. Does Abraham's offspring and his descendants, do you feel like they ever break covenant with God? Like a kajillion bajillion times. <laughs> Heck yeah, they do. You could say that back to me. Yes, they do. A lot. Did God ever break his end of the covenant? No. He never does. And here's the beauty of this. What happens is... All those things that God did while Abraham was asleep were all pointing to Jesus. This one he brings, Jesus, is one who allows his body to be torn and bloodied as a sacrifice. Not because God has broken a covenant with his people, but because his people broke covenant with him. So we see this picture in Genesis 15, 17, where God walks between the bloodied sacrifice. He is not just looking at Abraham in this commitment, in this covenant. He's looking at us. Remember, he, he promises Abraham that his offspring will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. You need to know that those stars in the sky, one of them was you. That sacrifice was not something that we could have kept. Only God could. And you need to know that Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of that picture. In John 1, verse 11 through 13, John's writing these things down about Jesus. And he says, Jesus, he, he came to his own, his own people. And they didn't receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, remember what happened with, with Abraham? He believed him. He trusted that God would do this. Believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. Okay? Who were born not of blood, so it wasn't a genetic, biological pedigree. It wasn't of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. It wasn't something that somebody um, desired or manufactured, nor of the will of man, but they were born of God. It was something God did. It's a work. And if you remember, like, this is of God from above, this work of birth, new birth happens. So remember, Genesis 15.1. Go back there for a second. Remember, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And for us, the word of the Lord has come to us. We have God's holy word, his inerrant, right? His perfect word that, that lets us know that he's going to do a work in us, and he's going to do it through his son, Christ, in the flesh, walking among us. 
He's going to let us know that what we see next, fear not, Abram, I am your shield. For us, you need to know that Christ is our shield. He's our protection from the ultimate enemy that aims to steal, kill, and destroy your life, your dreams, your hopes. And he says, I will be your very great reward. Here's the beauty, and I love this. This is transformational for me. Like there are so many gifts that the gospel brings us. We get salvation, which is everlasting life, saved from from death to life. We get that absolutely. We get joy that isn't circumstantial. We get to be justified before the Father. But the one thing we get at the end of all that, all those things lead to the one thing, which is our ultimate reward, and that's God himself. He's our shield, and he's our reward. And then we see in Genesis 15, 6, and 7, it says, And he believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. How incredible is that? He believed, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Where does that righteousness come from for us? Well, Paul writes about that. He says, 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says this, For our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, in Christ, we might be the righteousness of God. We can be righteous based on him and his work, but we have to believe in it. Then in Genesis 15, 8, he asks an honest question, and we can ask the same question. Oh, Lord God, how am I to know that I'm going to possess this thing that you promised? There's this conversation Jesus has with this guy named Nicodemus, who's this religious leader. Supposed to know all this stuff, and it's kind of late. So, some of the answers that Jesus gives him about, hey, look, we know you're a teacher, for nobody can do the signs you're doing unless you're, you're from God. We get it. You're from God. We just don't get how you're doing it. And Jesus begins to explain things, and he says, I can't believe you're a teacher and you don't know these things. And then he talks about being born again, being born from above. And of course, Nicodemus is swirling. It's late. I'm tired. I don't know what you're saying. And then he gives him an example that Nicodemus would have known. And he says, you remember that story in in the book of Numbers where the people were grumbling to the Lord and and about Moses. And all of a sudden, God sends these these desert snakes to bite them. And they start dying, dropping like flies. And all of a sudden, Moses intercedes on their behalf and prays to God. Remember that? Jesus says, Nicodemus, of course I remember that. And God told Moses to basically take some bronze, melt it down, and, and put it on a pole and hold it up so that if anybody looks at that bronze serpent, right, If they look on it and they've been bitten, they will live. And Jesus is like, that's what has to happen with me. And that's right before this one verse. Maybe you've heard of it. John 3, 16. This is how we can know that we'll possess this promise. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son to prove his promise to the weaker party, which is us. And he walked between the sacrifices and said, you can't keep it, but in Christ, I can. And what you have to do is you have to believe. It says that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, here's the thing. For some of us in this room, that is the very first time you've ever heard anybody talk about this hope that you can have. For some of you in this room, that may be the kajillion, bajillionth time that you've heard it, but you've never believed it. And I want to invite you, whether you're on one end of the spectrum or the other, if you've never trusted Jesus in this hope that you can possess this based on God's word, 
which is true, and he is faithful. If you've never done that, I want to invite you to respond to that. And here's how we, we've got this as, an, as a way for you. Um, our elders here, we got Mike Ferris is in this room and, and his wife Jody, um, and then also um, Keith Westbury and his wife Maria are here, and they're going to come and stand up here. So if you guys would go ahead and stand, one get this side, one get this side. Um, and if you guys would just be available. And I want you to see him first so that you know where to go. I don't know where Mike's at. You can curse him. There he is. Mike, you got to stand up, sucker. I'm going to embarrass you. There he is. Thank goodness for his wife. Otherwise, that would be hard to look over there. All right, here we go. Rain it in. Let me tell you something. You knowing Jesus, trusting Jesus to save you, changes everything. And you need to know that the promise to Adam, to Noah, to Abraham, ultimately pointed to as a sign to Jesus. Because your only hope is in him. And so if you don't know that, what I want to do is I want to pray for us. And then I'm going to dismiss us. And if you've got questions and you just want to talk to these guys, and and they're here for you. Like God has called them as as your peers within this congregation to serve you. They're here for that. And so if you've got questions, grab them and just say, hey, would you walk me through that? Help me see. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you so much for this work, what you're able to do. And Lord, if somebody just needs to, to pray, that they would come to our elder uh, and, and their wife, and Father, they would just pray and seek your face. Or if they just need to like confess you and just pray to trust you because they can possess this. I pray that they would do it in Jesus' name. I thank you for this. Amen.